Good afternoon and welcome. I'm Sarah Hammer, Executive Director at the Wharton School, and I'm so pleased to be here today for our Wharton Cipher Accelerator podcast with my very special guest, Ari Redboard, Global Head of Policy at TRM Labs. Ari, thank you so much for joining me today. Sarah, thank you, and really, really looking forward to the conversation. It's our pleasure to have you, Ari. I'm just really excited to talk with you. And I'm going to give our audience a bit of background about TRM Labs. Uh, this is an incredible company that provides blockchain intelligence to help financial institutions, crypto businesses, and public agencies detect, investigate, and mitigate crypto-related fraud and financial crime. TRM's risk management platform includes solutions for crypto anti-money laundering, transaction monitoring, and wallet screening, investigative tracing, and entity risk scoring, including know your virtual asset service provider. So a number of really incredible tools here. And ARI has an incredible role as global head of policy at TRM Labs. And also a very impressive background. Ari was the senior advisor to the deputy secretary and undersecretary for terrorism and financial intelligence at the United States Treasury. So we both had the privilege of working at US Treasury. And in that position, Ari worked with teams from the Office of Foreign Assets Control, OFAC, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, FinCEN, and other treasury components to use sanctions and other regulatory tools effectively to safeguard the financial system from illicit use by terrorist financiers, weapons of mass destruction proliferators, drug kingpins, and other rogue actors and other states. In addition, ARI works closely with regulators, the Hill, and the interagency on issues related to the BSA, the Bank Secrecy Act, crypto, and anti-money laundering strategies. Prior to Treasury, Ari was an assistant United States attorney for the District of Columbia for 11 years, where he investigated and prosecuted terrorism, espionage, threat finance, crypto, export control, child exploitation, and human trafficking cases. Ari, that's a really impressive background. We are so fortunate. I'm so sorry you were to say all that. <laughs> no, it's, it's so, oh, no, thank you for I think it's me. really important for our audience to hear about your background and our topic today is safeguarding the financial system. And I, I feel that we are well versed to have you with us today to talk about that. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So um, Ari, with that, you spent 11 years as an assistant US attorney and then almost another two years at Treasury. Tell us what brought you into Web3 and working at TRM Labs. Yeah, and look, a, a number of factors. Um, you know, it's people have this kind of like, what's your origin story into crypto or, or Bitcoin? And most people who were much smarter than I did bought it in like, you know, 2012 or 2013 and, uh, and uh, probably aren't working anymore. But, um, you know, for me, it was very, very different, right? Like, you know, we were very focused when I was in AUSA uh, at the US Attorney's Office in DC, um, on how to stop illicit actors from getting the funds they needed to do bad things. So, um, you know, criminal uh, sanctions, uh, prosecutions, uh, terrorist financing. And one place we were focused on in particular was North Korea. And historically, North Korea has really done anything it could to sort of get the funds it needed for weapons proliferation and other types of destabilizing activity. So we had cases on um, on uh, counterfeit uh, dollars, counterfeit cigarettes, 
um, shell companies, um, you know, using uh, Chinese banks to facilitate money laundering, all kinds of stuff. Um, but we eventually started to see Bitcoin pop up in those cases and really trying to kind of understand that technology. Um, and what I realized very quickly in, in doing these investigations is that crypto had the potential to be such a force for good, Bitcoin, right? This idea of cross-border value transfer at the speed of the internet and really tried to kind of understand what that looked like. Um, but then really also try to understand how do we stop um, illicit actors from taking advantage of this new technology? And I was very fortunate to go over to the Treasury Department after that in, a, in more of a policy role, um, working with um, the, 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 um, the Undersecretary for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence, which kind of oversees the national security apparatus. And that was really the time, 2018 to 2020, where we, we started to see crypto more and more. Um, and from a policy perspective, a couple of really cool things happened when I was at Treasury. One Libra launched, which was sort of Facebook's failed stablecoin project, which, uh, if you remember, set you know regulators across the globe scrambling on how I to remember. <laughs> it was it was wild, right? I jumped on a plane with the undersecretary, and we went to Switzerland to meet with Finma, where. Uh, where Libra was um, ultimately ultimately um, incorporated and had conversations uh, mostly around anti-money laundering. Mm -hmm. um, but but anyway, it was really kind of one of those watershed moments where, hey, um, all of a sudden you have, you know, 250 million Facebook users with, um, you know, this type of financial technology at their fingertips and regulators wanted to understand it. Um, so anyway, that is that is sort of a long-winded way of saying like throughout my career, even though it was never the focus within DOJ and then a treasury, you know, crypto and financial technology um, really played just a huge role and it's always been an interest. Mm -hmm. um, so as I mentioned to you, um, you know, offline, um, I did this really crazy thing about three years ago and I left about 15 years uh, in the U.S. federal government for an eight-person startup. Uh, we're a lot bigger today, about 200 across 20 countries. Uh, but really what it allowed me to do was something extraordinary. And that is, you know, basically take this mission that I've been on my entire life, right? Working uh, to build a safer financial system and stop illicit actors from abusing the financial system. I got to do it at a really cool startup uh, that had built a really next generation tool to help law enforcement, to help regulators, to help uh, firms in the crypto industry uh, keep the space safe. That's really incredible, Ari, and I think it's important for us to note you you and TRM Labs got into the space because you see the potential for crypto, and that um, potential and some of the issues around it really um, came to light before the pandemic, but you also recognize the potential risks around it, and that's part of how TRM Labs came to be and your mission, the system. So uh, it's it's great to have you here today to talk about the work that you're doing there um, and making the system safe so that we can maximize the the potential that we that we see in the crypto space. Um, so you joined this startup and it's now more than 200 people. That must have been an amazing journey. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, Ari? What was it like? What have you enjoyed about it? What have been some of the challenges? Yeah, you know, like I, I've been so fortunate throughout my career, you know, when I was in AUSA, um, you know, I worked with teams of prosecutors and agents. And, you know, when you're building cases, you're not doing it alone, right? You're working, you know, I worked with the greatest FBI agents and IRSCI and HSI and, and DA and Secret Service and really across the world. 
Um, and then Treasury is very much the same, like, hey, we need to take the sanctions expertise at OFAC, combine it with the kind of anti-money laundering financial intelligence that you have at FinCEN. And then you have OIA, which is a um, intelligence agency within the Treasury Department that not a lot of people realize. It's like this tiny little piece of the overall IC, the intelligence community. We have a Treasury. Um, and then finally, there's a policy shop called TFFC. And you bring those people together, right, to like get to the right answer on, you know, uh, Iran sanctions or North Korea sanctions or putting out a money laundering advisory or guidance. Um, so I've always loved great teams. And at TRM, I think the opportunity was there to really help build a great team. And it's been so fun to sort of put together, um, you know, folks who are really the best in the world at cryptocurrency investigations. Um, I lead our policy team. Um, we have a, we have, um, I have a colleague, Isabella Chase, who's in the UK, came from Rusi, money laundering expert. Um, uh, another colleague, um, Angela Ang, who's in Singapore, who does, who, who's former MAS, the Monetary Authority of Singapore. So like you go around and you're building this expertise. And I, I love the idea of sort of like that puzzle. Um, and I feel like that's what sort of company building. So I, I uh, you know, obviously the mission is sort of what drives me and what, what, what caused me to do this in the first place, but it's really the people and the team that we're able to build. that sort of really excites me every day. That's amazing, Ari, and I think what you say about teams and your view on leadership is um, it really transcends, uh, you know, the very complicated space that you're in, you know, putting together a team with that level of expertise in the crypto space that's knowledgeable about everything from protocols to capital controls to, you know, FATFA, for example, but it transcends generally to leadership in other in other spaces, leadership of companies, leadership of institutions, um, leadership in the financial sector. So it's uh, really important. No, I really, I really appreciate it. Just as an aside, like it's definitely internal to TRM, sort of that company building. But like, look, I mean, and it, it sounds cheesy, but like I've just fallen in love with this space, right? Like, you know, people like you who are building and, you know, all of these folks that we, we've met over the years um, who are just in this space, we're all building a safer financial system together, right? We all we all believe so much in this technology. It's like, all right, how do we build and also create the guardrails to make sure that ecosystem is safe? So it's internal to TRM, but honestly, it's this giant community of builders that I've just felt so lucky to be a part of. And, and you're obviously very much in that uh, in that group. Oh, I appreciate that so much, Ari. Thank you. And it is it is really gratifying to see folks that you and I both know across the sector who are responsible and driven and knowledgeable. And, and the longer we work in the space, you know, from the inception of Libra till now, I find it really rewarding to be able to collaborate with those folks. So I'm excited about the, you know, the work and the protections that we have ahead of us too, definitely. Um, so tell us a little bit more about TRM. We talked about the inception of the company, the expertise you have there, some great folks that you've recruited to your team. What are some of the goals that you have for TRM Labs over the coming years? No, I love it. And just, you know, I think sort of like going back a little bit, like just explaining what we do in sort of the most basic terms, really. So we're a blockchain intelligence company. And what that means is we provide software. Uh, we provide software to governments. We provide software to compliance professionals. Um, you know, crypto businesses, financial institutions. But what that means is we are taking raw blockchain data, right? The alphanumeric address, and we're layering it with threat intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, we have a team of blockchain intelligence experts, threat hunters, think of them, who are mm -hmm. out there labeling blockchains. Hey, we know that address is associated with terrorist financing mm -hmm. because we've seen Mojahedin on Twitter uh, with that address raising funds. Or 
uh, we know that address is associated with a darknet market. Mm-hmm. Um, or we or OFAC put that address on the sanctions list. Mm-hmm. So we know that is associated with sanctions. Mm-hmm. And we label addresses using that those, that team of threat hunters. Mm-hmm. We then use machine learning algorithms to extrapolate, to understand what are the networks, you know, who are those addresses, um, who are those addresses transacting with? Mm-hmm. Um, and then try to kind of, and we provide those insights to law enforcement so they can track and trace the flow of funds, right? So if there is a hack, mm-hmm. you know, as, as there have been involving North Korea, you know, over the course of the last year or so, um, law enforcement uses TRM to track and trace the flow of funds to follow the money, mm-hmm. um, ultimately to a compliant exchange, hopefully, that has you know your customer information that can provide that information to law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you're that compliant exchange, you know, if you're Coinbase and you are, uh, you, you, you're using TRM mm-hmm. to screen wallet addresses, make sure, hey, we're going to transact with that wallet. We want to make sure it is uh, not associated with terrorist financing or child exploitation or any other 80 predicate offenses. So um, that's kind of, that's what we do. We're a software company that provides a tool uh, that allows law enforcement to build investigations and compliance professionals to kind of keep their platform safe. Um, that 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 sort of that that's what we're doing. And um, what's what's so cool about that is that you see um, you, you know you see the fruits of of, of your labor. A couple of weeks ago, we provided um, some information to Binance that there was a terrorist financier that was engaging with their platform. Well, they immediately coordinated their compliance team immediately coordinated with law enforcement. Um, who made arrests and were able to disrupt the terror network. Um, you know, we we are involved with pig butchering scams where we're hopefully he- helping uh, law enforcement seize back funds for victims. Um, so it's it's uh, yeah, it's 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 a really cool company. Um, and I, I think much of it is like, you know, there's there's the law enforcement piece, the national security piece where you just want to stop bad guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but, 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 but if you believe in this ecosystem, right, if you believe in this idea of cross-border value transfer at the speed of the internet, right. Um, if you believe in decentralized finance, then we need to make sure bad actors are, uh, are, are, are doing as little in this ecosystem or the risk from illicit actors is mitigated as much as possible. And that's what we're trying to do. So the, the so the ecosystem grows. Yeah, that's really incredible area. Not easy. It's highly complex. So, you know, for those who are familiar with the crypto space, they probably understand some of that. But for those who are not familiar with it, just the complexity of dealing with wallet addresses and the OFAC sanctions list and keeping up with criminal activity at the speed of light is not an easy business. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Like a part of my role in the world, I feel like is to try to make this stuff like um, and and I think the reality is like, you know, people ask all the time, like, you know, um, this is so complicated or crypto is so complicated, especially like in this anti-money laundering space. And I try to describe all the time, look, if you understand, if you've investigated financial crime cases before or followed the money in one way or another, I was like, look, you know, it's really the same thing. In fact, it's a, it's just a lot easier. You know, when I was a prosecutor, I used to do financial crime investigations involving networks of shell companies and hawalas and value art you know, Russian owned real estate in London. And like, I can tell you, there are no TRM for those things, right? Like you don't see every transaction on an open immutable public ledger, right? Um, right. And and I, I think that what's so interesting is that anything that's happening on the blockchain, there's usually a corollary um, off chain. So for example, um, we see illicit actors um, send funds 
um, in patterns, right, of dispersion and consolidation. You know, they send a large amount of funds and peel off smaller amounts along the way. In crypto, we call that a peeling chain, because if you look at it, it looks like a long thread with funds peeled off along the way to different addresses um, to create this pattern. In the real world, it's structuring, right? It's taking out slightly less money here. It's using networks of money mules. Um, and there's a lot more friction there. Mm-hmm. Um, but in um, in crypto, we are able to track and trace the flow of those funds through peeling chains and other types of obfuscation techniques like that. So it's interesting. I mean, I, I, I you know, sometimes I feel like I do a better job than others, but um, it's, part of it is demystifying the technology, right? Like I want to live in a world where everyone feels very comfortable using this. Um, but also knows that it's 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 able to be used safely. Yeah, interesting. And I'm glad you brought it back to the attributes of blockchain, immutability, for example, and provenance. You know, those are things that we don't necessarily see in the physical world, but it's it's um those are important attributes and, and that relate to the potential for the technology as well. I, I can't resist. I have to oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh no, I was gonna say it's so important, and I love that you focused there. Um, you know, to me. When, you know, there's all, look, I live in a world of risk and how do we stop risk, right? So everyone's always talking about the illicit use of crypto and the the risks. Whenever I talk about those things, I try to talk about how do we use the native qualities of blockchain in order to mitigate those risks, right? Like, you know, people talk about what are the use cases for blockchain? I'm like, anti-money laundering is a use case for this technology, right? It's, it is a feature, not a bug. You know, we, you know, so, so to me, um, we can do financial crime investigations. And that this is the, this is what the FBI and the DEA and secret service would say too. We can do financial crime investigations with much more visibility than we've ever had before because of those native qualities of blockchains, right? Um, visibility, transparency, traceability, immutability, like I, it's so important to always go back to the tech and what it enables. And I love, so, so that was just, I, I love the question. It was, it was spot on. Like that's how I think about this too. Yeah. Thank you. That's, I mean, those are some of the reasons that I originally became interested in the technology. It sounds like you as well is its potential based on those attributes to make some things better in the financial system. Um, and I can't resist, I have to ask you what you said about machine learning, because, uh, you know, part of what we are doing in our innovation hub and Cypher Accelerator at Wharton is expanding um, to other emerging technologies and AI being one of them. So can I just ask you a little bit more, area about how that works? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and look, remember, we're talking to a lawyer, right? So, uh, you know, yeah. I will, uh, yeah, but uh, no. <laughs> It's a lawyer who's tried to learn as much as possible about data science over the last three years. Um, But look, I I think that that is the bottom line. We're a data science company, right? You know, um, we are spiritual home is is San Francisco. Um, By far, sort of our biggest team is that data science team, Um, because what we're really trying to do is, um, you know, build the largest database of fraud and financial crime. And you don't do that by, um, you know, by one address at a time. You really do that by um, using machine learning algorithms to extrapolate, to understand networks, to understand patterns of behavior. Um, and I think that's really, as you're trying to build a larger and larger database, that's when the data science um, and machine learning becomes becomes so important. So um, so yeah, no, it, it's, it's absolutely critical. I mean, we're talking about so much data, right? We're talking about, you know, uh, we live in a world today where, um, you know, an illicit actor 
um, you know, North Korea cyber criminal, Russian um, sanctioned Russian actor, you can spin up, you know, 500, 1,000, 10,000 shell companies, right? Crypto addresses at the click of a button. Right. Um, you know, it used to take days and lawyers and shell companies to set up a shell company, right? It's different on chain. You can spin up a wallet at the click of a button. So in order to really understand this ecosystem that continues to grow so quickly, you have to use um, sophisticated data science. And I think that's definitely like when we built TRM, it was very much in response to the need for something more, for something bigger, for something more powerful. And a lot of it was like, it's not just Bitcoin anymore either. Uh, we You need to have now insights on, you know, millions of assets, um, mm-hmm. And 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 blockchains and um, you know and, and and numerous blockchains um, and that's one of the sort of the, the big differentiators about TRM is we just wanted to understand the entire ecosystem. So we have full coverage of about twenty eight different blockchains and well over a million assets because that's where people are moving funds these days, um, and that's where the data science becomes so important too. You know, we're seeing funds move across blockchains through uh, through bridges. We're seeing, um, you know, privacy coins and we're seeing funds move through mixers. You need to have the capability to trace all of that. And that's where the machine learning piece and the data science becomes so important. Interesting, interesting and exciting to be combining multiple technologies in your business model. Um, So going back to that area, how crime has changed over the last couple of years. And I want to touch on what's happened in crypto over the last couple of years and then maybe return to that theme of how your business has changed as a result. We had, you know, it seems like quite a while ago, but it actually wasn't the crypto crash. So I guess I'll go back even further. So we had the launch of Libra or the attempted launch of Libra. And then we had the pandemic and, you know, vast acceleration of digitization. And then with that, you know, the crash of Terra Luna um, and what some folks have called the crypto winter. And then even more recently, the FTX bankruptcy, for example, and then a banking crisis where, you know, a lot of startups were affected and and crypto was part of that conversation as well. So how has that changed your beliefs, if it has, about the space? And then how has crime changed in the space since then? Or, you know, has it changed? Um, And how has your business model changed as a result? Three questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll break them up. How about that? Um, So sort of first is sort of like the FTX kind of Terra Luna moment, um, which was about, you know, a year. Um, And I would say sort of, you know, look, when I I was, uh, when I was trying to get a job at the U.S. Attorney's Office, I was just, I was just out of a federal clerkship. I worked at a boutique white collar uh, defense firm in about 2000, 2001. And uh, we represented clients in WorldCom and Enron. If you remember, this was like the age of uh, accounting fraud. Mm -hmm. And um, to me, I actually go, go back to those days uh, when I think about FTX, mm-hmm. right? It was essentially a centralized business mm-hmm. that had all of the issues of a centralized business, right? Like mm-hmm. corporate malfeasance, fraud, um, you know, lack of corporate governance. Um, to me, it has next to nothing to do with crypto other than the fact that it was a crypto business. So sadly, it's been associated with this entire sort of decentralized ecosystem, even though there was nothing decentralized about um, FTX. Um, I think the remedies that exist for FTX today are are pretty solid, to be honest with you. I know that might not be a conventional view, um, but we have now seen a bankruptcy proceeding where the bankruptcy uh, court and council are able to cl- seem to be able to claw back um, some some of the funds. 
Um, we now see a very robust criminal process occurring, uh, a trial to start next month. Jury questionnaires are being discussed. Mm -hmm. um, we have, uh, you know, pre-trial motions, like all the things that are supposed to happen. We have cooperating witnesses, um, expert testimony. It, it, the criminal case is ongoing, and so are the parallel uh, regulatory investigations from CFTC, from the SEC. So I say all that to say that, like, I think there's, I think that honestly, fraud is fraud, and there's a remedy for it. Um, I think what what's sort of much more interesting in sort of what's happening today is we've now moved on a little bit from how do we regulate or how should we think about regulating centralized exchanges into sort of the world we live in today, which is moving towards more and more of a decentralized space. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of the conversations are happening today. Um, I think we're just starting to see that conversation on Capitol Hill. Um, we saw the Treasury Department put out a risk assessment for DeFi, um, I don't know, a couple of months ago, where it talked about um, the potential need for DeFi uh, services to uh, meet their Bank Secrecy Act requirements, which was a, a, a like a pretty pretty interesting step, and we'll see how that shakes out. We've seen some um, bills on Capitol Hill, um, and then we see all over the world regulators talking about this. So I think that like that the question of sort of how do we regulate in the centralized space? I think we've mostly sort of we're, we're working to get our head around that, um, but I think this 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 next question is sort of equally, um, if not more interesting. I think, unfortunately, um, and I'll, I'll stop here, I think, unfortunately, sort of FTX and terror and events like that, which were just pure, pure purely fraud, uh, have really set the space back a lot because regulators who were skeptical before, policymakers, elected officials are more skeptical than ever about crypto businesses and the need to regulate them, even though, um, you know, really FTX was a financial institution that was highly regulated. And just engaged in in a lot of malfeasance. Um, one, just you asked about sort of how does this all affect our business or how are we thinking about it? I think what the, the way we're thinking about it in terms of TRM today is entirely different. And that is like, what is the ecosystem that we need to work with law enforcement and regulators and compliance professionals to keep safe? Mm -hmm. um, and just like a couple crazy numbers, in 2016, um, about 97% of illicit activity occurred in Bitcoin. Hmm. Today, that's about 19%, hmm. um, which means just like all of us have moved to different, you know, to, to DeFi, to Ethereum, to Solana, to Polygon, to Tron, so have illicit actors. Hmm. The vast majority of terrorist financing today uh, in crypto happens on, te on in Tether, stablecoin Tether on the Tron blockchain. Um, so you need to make sure that you have coverage of the Tron blockchain if you're a law enforcement agent or you're or you're in exchange. Um, so we're seeing we're seeing that. Um, you know, we're seeing North Korea attack the DeFi ecosystem mm -hmm. um, really at sort of unprecedented speed and scale. Last year stealing, you know, 3.7 billion uh, in hacked funds, about half of that a billion or more attributed to North Korea, most if not all in DeFi. So the ecosystem is growing, which is awesome, um, and exactly what should be happening as, a, as you get more sophisticated and and uh, and evolves. Um, but illicit actors, like always, are following the money, mm -hmm. and they're now moving to sort of more chains. And I think that's where we are: is trying to always be, you know, one step ahead of the bad actor. So we want to make sure that we are tracing across bridges 
that we are able to trace across through certain mixers and certain privacy coins and really have the technology necessary to kind of meet the moment. Mm -hmm. Well, that that's great, Ari. And that was actually my next question for you was about the mixers and the privacy chains. And I just want to drill down on one thing there, which is privacy. And so for our listeners who are less familiar with privacy chains, can you give us a little bit more context and how do those work? And then how do you see, so how do you see TRM Labs sort of following the money as privacy chains become increasingly more popular? Yeah, look, I, I mean, you know, I, I believe privacy is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. um, and as we do more and more um, transactions mm -hmm. on open blockchains, people are going to have more and more reason to uh, want to have more privacy, mm -hmm. right? I don't want, um, you know, I don't want anyone. I definitely don't want my wife seeing where I'm using my crypto to buy shoes all the time, you know? <laughs> uh, so, uh, you know, I, uh, you, you want, you, I, I, you want some degree of privacy and just like you don't want someone to see your credit card transactions. You don't want to be, have someone be able to see your, your crypto transactions. So I think privacy enhancing technology is incredibly important to include mixers, privacy coins, you know, et cetera. And for your listeners, you know, mixers are really exchanges that are on blockchains that mm -hmm. allow you to send funds in, mix up with other, mix those funds up with other users, and then essentially sends them out the other side uh, with that transaction essentially obfuscated. So someone cannot necessarily follow the same funds you put in out and associate them with you. Um, uh, similarly with privacy coins, they are just uh, either harder or impossible depending on the coin for tools like TRM or like uh, someone using uh, an open source tool to trace. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I, I would say this, right? Like, you know, we at TRM want to make sure that we're able to trace everything we can to stop illicit actors. Mm -hmm. So we definitely have technology today that enables us to um, trace through mixers, certain mixers with, um, with a high degree of confidence. Some we can't. Um, and, and that's similar with with privacy coins as well. Um, I, I think the challenge here, and this is where like, I love, I mean, this is exactly what Wharton, this, this is the conversation we should be having at Wharton. Um, and that is um, how should we think about privacy, right? In this sort of open financial system. Um, right. You know, it, it's interesting, you know, we had this conversation post 9-11 um, at airports and, and city streets. Mm -hmm. um, what level of privacy are you willing to exchange for security? Mm -hmm. And today the conversation is happening on, on blockchains in the digital space. Mm -hmm. And I think the reality is that regulators need to strike a balance between enabling lawful users to have some degree of privacy in this new financial system, but yet stop bad actors who are trying to use uh, this technology uh, for money laundering, financial crime, weapons proliferation, Etc. And I think that's it, it. You know, it, it that is a real challenge. Mm -hmm. um, I think that this issue has, it's probably most most kind of like. Um, I, I think we talked about this most in the wake of Tornado Cash and the sanctions against Tornado Cash, mm -hmm. which was a decentralized mixer on Ethereum that was sanctioned by um, the U.S. Treasury Department, mm -hmm. and even a couple of weeks ago uh, there were indictments and arrests by, uh, from DOJ for the developers. And the question is. You know, are they doing anything other than just putting out software? Um, and I think we'll see how that plays out over the coming, you know, months and years. Um, but I think these are really important questions to be had. And I think that 
what you do and the work that you're doing is like a great place to have these, you know, great place to have these conversations because they take it, right. It's law, it's policy, it's technology. It's, it's all of it. It's the interdisciplinary conversation. Yeah. Thank you, Ari. We would be glad to continue those conversations. And that's absolutely something that we at Wharton uh, want to be supportive of uh, for myself and, and my colleagues across the university really. And, um, I don't know about you, but I also feel that privacy is a complicated conversation because we have our conception of privacy here in the United States, and then other countries have it as well. And it's reflected uh, oftentimes in what the law says and how the law is evolving. So it's incredibly complicated. And you combine that with, you know, how fast technology moves. Uh, but Tornado Cash being a great example of how complex it is, but how important it is. So I look forward to talking with you more about that. Absolutely. Um, all right, so I wanna move on to a really important role, uh, responsibility and honor that you uh, uh, took on uh, recently, which is as vice chair of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission's Technology Advisory Committee, a very important honor and responsibility um, can you tell us a little bit more about that, Ari, and um, what uh, what is what is the scope of responsibility there? You know, what are you working on with your colleagues, and what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that you will face in that group? Yeah, no, it's it's a great question. I really appreciate it, um, and 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 thank you. It's 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 a really cool thing. I can't escape the U.S. federal government is really the bottom line. Uh, as 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 hard as I try. <laughs> Now, uh, Christy Goldsmith Romero, Commissioner CFTC, um, is really leading the the TAC, the Technology Advisory Committee. Um, super amazing chair, Carol House, who was a colleague of mine at Treasury and then went on to the National Security Council. In my mind, one of the really foremost experts on that intersection between national security and technology. Um, so it's been super fun to be able to do this role uh, with a friend um, who I admire as much as I do Carol. Um, so that that's like that that's awesome. I think what um, what what uh, Commissioner Goldsmith and Romero has done, and you actually do a really good job of this as well, is you put a lot of different voices in the room. So we have folks, um, you know, like quite frankly, like myself, who is a big advocate for the technology, um, for decentralized finance, with quite frankly, people who are crypto skeptics and have a meaningful conversation around what regulation should look like in the age of DeFi, what should be the role of a regulator. Um, and some of those conversations are very, very public in the form of two like long um, meetings, and, and some of them are sort of more private as we work to put out, um, you know, reports on these various issues. I think the other thing that's so interesting is, you know, I've basically spent my last three years down the rabbit hole, uh, my, you know, on, on crypto stuff. My wife makes fun of me because I really don't know anything about sports or pop culture or politics or all the things I used to actually know something about. She's like, I know if it's not about crypto, you, you know, no. Um, but I, uh, I, I've, I've, I've focused so much on that. But the Technology Advisory Committee, I think, really has forced me to sort of sit, to, to talk a little cyber. Um, we have an incredible group that's just focused on cyber. Um, I love the intersection between cyber and crypto um, and how to stop hacks from happening in the first place, right, which is even better than following the money after they do. Um, and, then, and then lastly, again, like a focus, you mentioned AI, which obviously um, you guys are working on as well. Um, but, but, but another sort of piece of all of this. So, um, super diverse views, um, really 
uh, again, like really impressive people that it's been an honor to work with. Uh, but but I think our real hope at the end of the day is that we can help, we can produce something, um, whether it's through our meetings or um, written content that can help move the needle a little bit for policymakers, uh, really more from an educational standpoint than anything else, um, but really help policymakers kind of get their head around um, the technology. And by putting experts at the table, I think that's a, that's just been a key way to do that. And I give the CFTC and Treasury and others a lot of credit because they have, for them, this has been a conversation. Mm -hmm. I'm not entirely sure that's true of every regulator, uh, you know, in the U.S., but it really has been a conversation. Um, and we've been in, you know, myriad meetings where we sat around with true subject matter experts, you know, um, in the DeFi space, folks like Rebecca Reddick and Michael Mosier and, um, you know, really, really across the spectrum, kind of having these important conversations. And it's it's been great. And the CFTC has been one one place to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. And uh, I think it goes to what you said about having expertise in education area. That's a very important component of this whole ecosystem. And I, I, I'm not saying that just because I work at Wharton and the University of Pennsylvania, uh, but because I really do feel that it's true, you know, with these uh, technologies, emerging technologies, and just how fast moving the financial ecosystem is. So um, having your leadership there and, and your service there is uh, of great value as we work together to put together a policy framework. Um, and uh, we, uh, you know, we touched on this earlier, uh, but I want to return to the global regulatory framework along those lines and the complexity of it, um, because we have our system here in the U.S. And, you know, as you and I well know, we have two markets regulators, we have three banking regulators, we have Treasury, we have enforcement, uh, we have uh, policymakers, we have Congress. And um, other countries have different approaches. Sometimes they have one regulator, sometimes they have uh, more than one regulator. Um, but what we are seeing as a result is that because in some areas or some significant areas, we don't have legislative clarity or regulatory clarity in the US, we are seeing some businesses move overseas. And uh, this is just uh, shown in the data, um, you're probably seeing it on your side as well. But how do you how do you feel about that? How are we positioned going forward in blockchain, and how does that make your job easier? Does it make your job harder? Um, how is TRM Labs prepared for that? Yeah, no. Look, I, I think we're seeing a lot of interesting activity globally right now, including in the United States. I mean, if you look around the world, mm -hmm. literally every regulator on Earth is thinking about this topic, working on crypto one way or another. Mm -hmm. um, I think you have you know, a dozen or 15 or 20 countries that are further along than others to include, you know, Singapore and Japan and South Korea, um, India, uh, we're talking about Australia, um, obviously the UAE has put out, uh, I think it's for, as far along as anyone with rule books for, for reg creating a regulatory framework. Right. Obviously the UK has done a ton. Europe, I think is far and away beyond anyone else today with Mika, the market and crypto assets uh, legislation, which really does create the first kind of comprehensive framework for crypto. Um, so I would say that we're seeing a ton of regulatory action today. Um, I would even submit that we're starting to see standards or at least consistency develop among and between those countries, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to regulate stable coins today, I think the general consensus is that you need one-to-one uh, -one reserves, um, that you need, you know, audits, all the things that sort of 
sort of the stablecoin bill in the US uh, may someday have. But I, I think that like there's becoming general consensus globally. I am not naive enough to think that there will ever be global standards or um, or a global regulation for the crypto space. But I think we can have consistent standards across um, you know, democratic jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's sort of a step forward. From a US perspective, you know, it's interesting. I, I think there's no question that businesses are looking for clarity. And what clarity means to me is I need to know what the speed limit is. I, I maybe I don't even, you know, I don't care that it might be lower or higher than what I want, mm-hmm. but I need to at least know what it is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where this issue where we've gotten bogged down in the US is, is before we can regulate, mm-hmm. we have to decide who's going to regulate. And I think sadly, we have this, is it a commodity? Is it a security fight? Um, as opposed to sort of being able to have the conversation around like, what are the guardrails we're going to put in place? What are the regulations? Um, you know, you look at Singapore, and one of the reasons, amongst others, they've been so successful there is because they have one financial services regulator who does all of it, right? And, and they're the central bank, the Monetary Authority of Singapore. Um, so what, what MAS in Singapore says goes. In the U.S., you very well name the hundred regulators that people have to worry about. Right. Not Plus to we mention have the fifty Congress. states. Yeah, so <laughs> not to mention the fifty yeah, states. We have the fifty states. Which probably puts us way beyond that. So I think that's the complexity. Is like we we are so bogged down in mm-hmm. this discussion of who's going to regulate. Um, what well, the last point I put on it though is like, I'm just by nature optimistic and 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 hopeful. I think hopefully not to a, to a fault. But if you had told me three years ago that every branch of the US federal government was going to be fully engaged in the crypto ecosystem, you know, from these major cases in the courts to, you know, a number of bills already getting out of committee, but like, I don't know, 20 bills circulating on Capitol Hill, maybe more, um, to uh, all of the, not just enforcement actions, but the White House uh, framework on digital assets, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when I left the government, there was guidance from FinCEN and I don't know, maybe that's it. <laughs> I do recall those times. I remember when the guidance yeah. came out and that was, a, that was a newsmaker because we had guidance from FinCEN. Guidance, right? yeah. You know, that was what back, we had. <laughs> maybe a little, you know, so, so, I, so I say all that to say yeah. like, look, I think that, you know, regulation takes time. And like, we live in a world, um, when we were at this conference together last week in Philadelphia for the Philly Fed, um, one of the panelists, um, I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember who it was. She said, um, "You know, when we built the internet, we were able to do it in relative, like, private. <laughs> it was just, you know, academics and data scientists and other folks sort of working on technology. Mm-hmm. Here, we are building on crypto Twitter, right? Like that, and and on a twenty-four hour news cycle. Um, so the expectation is we live in a world that moves at the speed of the internet. Well." Courts and regulators and policymakers do not move at the speed of the internet. And I think I, I'm so hopeful that over the next several years, we'll get this thing right. But it is it is early in that conversation. Well, I am glad we're going to end on an optimistic note, Ari. That's a- Always, Sarah, always. Yes. <laughs> topic that we broached here at the end, but I'm glad that you're an optimist about it. And I think the your position in the ecosystem affords you that optimism. So- Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm going to ask one more quick question, which is what is one more hopeful thing uh, that you see in the space? And it can be, you know, a regulatory issue. It could be a technology issue, um, something you're excited about. 
Yeah, like to me, look, I think if you ask me what is the number one issue in our space today, I would not say it's the SEC versus the CFTC or something like this. I would say it's, you know, it's institutional investment, but just like, what are the things that are going to happen that make average users engage this technology that you and I believe in so much? And I think we've seen a bunch of those things this summer. Um, we just put out a like a blog post report on stable coins today. Um, and it highlighted, you know, Circle expanding to numerous new blockchains, right? Um, PayPal in the probably the biggest news of the summer, in my opinion, bigger than any of the regulatory news, announcing PayPal USD, their own stablecoin. This is one of the most important financial institutions, let alone fintechs in the world, right? right? With, with 450 million users, mm -hmm. right? I mean, those are the types of things we, we saw BlackRock and Fidelity, right? We're, we're seeing traditional financial players engage in the space because the technology is so good. And I, I think that that is probably the thing that excites me more. It's like what's being built mm -hmm. as opposed to sort of where the, what the regulatory or policy environment is. But I think that ultimately a regulatory policy environment will even will push this even forward more the innovation. But um, I, I think there's so much to be um, to be optimistic about. And I, I, I feel I pinch myself every day that I get to like have these kinds of conversations. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great, Ari. Thank you for ending us on an optimistic note. And, and we are also excited at Wharton about what's being built and uh, the growth and the support for the financial ecosystem. So I want to thank you for joining us today. Thank you for sharing your insight and your expertise and for collaborating with us at Wharton. And to our audience, thank you for joining us uh, in our great conversation today with Ari Redboard, Global Head of Policy at the blockchain intelligence firm TRM Labs. Ari, thanks so much. Looking forward to seeing you again soon. Take care. Sarah, thank you so much for having me. It was great.